morning. It's lovely to see you and to wave at you if you're at home. Um, if you've got a Bible, we're looking at John chapter 6 uh, this morning. I'll read it in a few moments' time. As we come to the end of our sermon series on trust and at the same time begin to emerge from an extremely painful and challenging year, I wonder how your relationship with God is faring. Have you found this series challenging? Has it inspired you and given you a renewed energy and desire to lean on God and to trust him as we come out of this lockdown period? Have you learned from those biblical godly saints of the past who demonstrated faith in difficult and frightening times and who despite despair, chaos and danger, had trusted God and sought to follow him in obedience. Today we come to our greatest example of one who trusted God and that is, of course, Jesus himself. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus demonstrates his dependency on his Father as he battles with Satan in the wilderness, retreats from the crowds to spend time in prayer, weeps as he wrestles with the call on his life and makes that ultimate choice to submit to his father's will. Now Jesus is fully God and fully human and that of course is a sermon or two in itself which we're not going to do today but as the only perfect human being he demonstrates what it means to perfectly trust God. I know that's completely mind-blowing, but as we draw this series to a close and look at how Jesus demonstrates that he trusted his Father, we as broken, flawed, often frightened people can look to him and find inspiration and hope and peace as we seek to trust him for ourselves. So let's pray together and then I'm going to read the passage for us. Father God, we pray that as we look to Jesus, we might grow to be men and women who choose to trust you above all other. Teach us as we open your word and change us today that we might become more like your son. Amen. So I'm going to read from John 6, 27. John 6, 27 to 40. Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for et to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then the disciples asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. 
Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This passage comes as a consequence of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the crowds being so overwhelmed by what he's done that if we look back in verse 15 of that passage, they want to force him to be their king. And Jesus retreats, and when they finally track him down, it's clear they haven't really understood who he is and what type of king he's come to be. So he takes the opportunity to use God's provision of bread at that great giant picnic to explain that he himself is the true bread that they need. The bread of life, verse 38 tells us. The one who provides all they need for all eternity. But how does Jesus demonstrate in this passage that his total trust in God? Well, I think this morning there are two main things to focus on. One is that he is confident of his identity Verse 27 of the passage tells us that Jesus has received God's seal of approval just as when he was baptized at the beginning of his ministry. He's God's man for the job that God has given him. No one else will do. He's the son of man, a title that he gives himself, drawing on that vision of da in Daniel 7 of one like the son of man. He's both the heavenly king and the mess messianic king, called to deliver his people, the sovereign word who became flesh and made his dwelling among people. Not only that, he is the true king, not a king as the crowd would have him be, a king to overthrow Roman rule and oppression, but instead the promised humble king who, as Zechariah had promised centuries before, would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey whilst the crowds cheered and praised him, and yet only a few days later would die the humiliating death of a criminal. And as I said, he describes himself as the bread of life, the one who provides spiritual satisfaction to all who are hungry and in desperate need. And while the crowds are still desperate for a miracle and comparing him with Moses, Jesus reminds them that he is the true bread from heaven, a bread that will never spoil or run out, but one that will give eternal life to all people who believe in him. Letitia Wright is a actress, an actress best known by Marvel fans for her role in Black Panther as Shuri. When she won her BAFTA Rising Star Award in 2019, she explained a little of her struggle to make her way in the acting world. And first declared before all else that what gave her confidence was that she was a child of God. 
Her identity was in him. She trusted him, and as she did, it seemed clear that she felt more equipped to face those troubles and struggles. The longing for human beings to find their true identity is right at the heart of our culture today. We experience it, well, we used to when we weren't in lockdown, in small talk around a dining room table when we're asked, what do you do? And we feel that internal pressure to give a worthy answer. We recognize it in the struggles of those who wrestle with their sexuality, to ask questions about their gender. We see it in young people as they feel the pressure of expectation and study to try and work out what they're meant to do with their lives. And so often, our longing to find out who we are can lead to depression, anxiety, stress, and discontent. Jesus was confident of his identity, and he trusted his Father completely. You see, we find our true identity when we come to Jesus and trust him. Confident, as verse 37 tells us, he will never drive us away because we belong in his kingdom. We're part of his family. We're loved unconditionally and eternally by our heavenly father. Secondly, Jesus is confident of God's will for his life. Verse 38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. God's call on Jesus' life was to do his will, the work of the perfect rescuer who through his death and resurrection would save people from their sin, bringing them into right relationship with God as his forgiven people. It's such a huge call. And there was no way Jesus would obey it if he wasn't confident in the one who had called him. Verse 39 shows us that Jesus understands his calling as he holds fast to those who follow him, confident even though, even though they struggle. He will one day bring us to be with him forever. There's no doubt that Jesus understands and experiences the weight of this call. And as we journey through Holy Week next week, we'll be reminded of the agony of Gethsemane. As Jesus prays that his father might take away from him the cup of suffering that he's about to face and find another way. But we will see again the extent of his trust too, in those few words of his prayer. Yet not as I will, but as you will. As Jesus leans on his father and places himself in his hands, submitting his life to him, never does Jesus take matters into his own hands. And as he cries, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and it is finished. He dies having been fully obedient to God's will for his life. Through the emotional anguish, the rejection, the physical suffering and the torture, he does not take his eyes off his heavenly father, trusting that his death is the only way humanity, you and I, can re receive salvation 
and eternal life. In two weeks' time, the Ewings family are going to gain a new member of the family. It's very exciting. Alfie, the border poo, will arrive. Border terrier and poodle. And whilst we all know and love the cuteness of a puppy, I confess to feeling the apprehension of trying to train this dog to become obedient to the call of his master. You see, Adrian is the uh, true, is the key dog trainer in our house. He worked really hard with Barney, our previous dog, and he had some success. But there's no way that we could ever describe Barney as being fully obedient. He never did learn to retrieve a ball, which was extremely disappointing. And although he wasn't allowed on the furniture, there are plenty of times when we would come home and find him curled up on the sofa, looking like butter wouldn't melt. You see, obedience isn't just a challenge for a naughty puppy. It's a massive challenge for the Christian, too. In fact, we know that Jesus is the only one who has ever been fully obedient to the Father. And our efforts are never going to achieve our salvation. Like the crowds in verse 28 of that passage, we often miss the point of the wonderful gift that is Jesus. And we still ask the question, what work do we need to do to please God? But we cannot please God by what we do. We can only take up our cross and follow the one who's done everything for us, trusting that it's by his grace that we've been saved, by faith in Jesus and in him alone, and praying that as we grow in confidence of God's will for our lives, only then will we become more obedient to him. So as we finish, let me go back to the beginning and ask again, how is your relationship with God faring in these difficult times? Do you know to whom you belong? Can you rejoice this Easter confident that you are a saved child of God so deeply loved and precious to him that King Jesus died in your place, providing you with life in all its fullness? And are you confident about his will for your life even through the most difficult times. Can you say with integrity, not my will, Lord, trusting that actually Jesus will equip you for all you face and all you sacrifice as you follow him? Jesus perfectly trusted his father in that last journey to Jerusalem as the crowds cheered him on the streets as he entered the city on a donkey. He knew that in less than a week's time, he would be ridiculed, mocked, beaten, and killed. And as we journey through life, taking up our cross to follow him, we can trust our Heavenly Father that wherever the journey takes us, whatever suffering we face or anguish we feel, our humble King has gone before us. Because Jesus was confident of God's call on his life and obedient to it. We can be confident of who we are and that our sin has been dealt with once and for all. That we have true eternal hope. That we can celebrate now and look forward for all time.